You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Welcome to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. It's Wednesday, March 9th, 2022. I'm Ash Bennington, joined today by Jared Dillian of the Daily Dirt Nap. Here's what's happening. Stocks up, oil down. That's the summary. Let's take a look at these numbers here because we've seen some momentum here. Uh, Dow Jones Industrial Average settling out the day, 33,285, up exactly 2% on the session. S&P 500 up more than 25 on today's trading session, closing out the day 4,277. NASDAQ up nearly 3.6% on the day, 13,255. Russell 2000, uh, a shade under uh, 3% up on the day, uh, closing out at 2,000. 21. VIX down almost 8.5%, uh, settling down here. It looks like 32 spot 16. Oil off 11% on the day, uh, closing out right now. Uh, looks like 109 spot 70. Call it about 110 bucks a barrel. Lots going on in the world. Jared Dillian, welcome back to the show. Always a pleasure to have you here, especially on a day with such an active trading. Yeah, I'll try to help, but you know, I just. Just another idiot here. <laughs> Our longtime viewers know that is not true. Uh, you're a guy with decades of experience uh, trading these markets. Uh, headline numbers here, obviously a lot of momentum, some news stories coming out of Ukraine. How do you process it? How are you thinking about what happened today? Uh, you know, it's funny because I don't really consider myself a technical analyst, but um, over the last, I would say, three weeks, I've been pretty heavily focused on the charts. Uh, to look for a turning point in stocks and commodities and everything else. One thing I pointed out yesterday on Twitter is that I said that commodity markets typically make V tops and stocks typically make V bottoms. Hmm. But when commodities bottom, they don't make a V bottom. It's usually a big rounded bottom. And when stocks top, they make a big rounded top. So commodities in the last couple of days have been making V tops all over the place, whether it's oil or nickel or weed or stuff like that. We're seeing these panic blow off tops and I've been looking for a spot to buy stocks. And today I actually published in my newsletter. I said, today's the day to buy. And that was really informed by my take on commodities, you know, stocks in the SP 500, you know, as of yesterday was only down 12%. And a lot of people are saying that's not enough given what's going on in the world, given the war in Ukraine and everything else. And I said, look, like the panic isn't in the stock market. The panic is in the commodities market. That's where you're seeing it. And that's where, from a sentiment standpoint, I got the courage to say, okay, now it's time to go back into stocks. So, yeah. Lots happening in the world, uh, you know, just so that people can be informed of the things that are happening. Uh, a lot of news stories coming in uh, from Ukraine, obviously, uh, a humanitarian crisis on the ground continuing. Uh, we see this continued siege uh, of the city of Mariupol in the south of Ukraine. Uh, today, an interesting story. Uh, Russia accused the United States of, quote, economic warfare, close quote, for its sanctions regime. You know, however, tomorrow uh, we're going to see high-level talks set to begin uh, between the Russian 
Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lazarov and his Ukrainian counterpart Dmitry Kolaba. Uh, this is uh, scheduled to begin in Turkey. Obviously, a lot of news flow coming out of Ukraine, while uh, a humanitarian crisis clearly still happening there. Jared, how do you process all of this news flow? How do you think about it in the context uh, of what's happening in markets? Well, I think we're all learning the names of cities in Ukraine, which we didn't know before. So we're all getting educated on this. Um, the thing that stands out to me is what you said about uh, the U.S. sanctions against Russia. Um, you know, this has the potential to escalate. It, you know, you know, Russia has made comments like this in the past that not necessarily that they view the sanctions as an act of war, but that it's an act of aggression. And, um, you know, those types of things make me worried. And, you know, I just mentioned that, you know, I, I, you know, we're buying stocks today and stuff like that. But, um, you know, if we're going to have round two of this and things get worse, it's going to be because of those provocative statements. It's going to be because Russia views these sanctions as an act of war. And that's when you have the potential to get contagion. Um, so I, it's, it's a little bit too early to make any predictions on that. But that's the type of thing that I'm looking out for. Yeah. Uh, jumping around here a little bit, just because we've got so much news flow today, and I wanted to get you to weigh in on a couple of these points. Uh, the Job Openings and Labor Turnover Summary, uh, this is the official report from the Bureau of Labor called the JOLTS Report, 11.26 uh, million uh, in January, uh, an actual beat on the 10.9 million consensus estimate. Uh, here's the headline or the interesting component of this to just kind of frame it and give some context. That means those 11.26 uh, million jobs, 4.7 million more vacancies uh, than workers. A little bit of context. There are approximately 157 million employed persons in the United States, 4.75 million vacancies. So for every 100 workers, there are three jobs for which there are no workers. That's a back-of-the-envelope number. I know a macroeconomist would point out that that's not the scientific way to look at it, but it does give you a, an order of magnitude estimate on just how big this gap is in terms of vacancies versus uh, workers. Yeah, and it also tells you, you know, right now, I think the unemployment rate is 3.9, I think was the last print. Yeah, um, but it, but it, kind of, it kind of tells you, I mean, think about this. If, if workers came back into the labor force and people took these available jobs, where would the unemployment rate be? I mean, it would be much, much lower. It would be 3%, 2.5%, 2%. Like, the, the, it's, people make these generalizations about the economy. They say, well, it's hot or it's cold or whatever. And at, right. the, at, at this particular moment in time, it's kind of both hot and cold because we do have this hot labor market and hot housing market, but we're dealing with this inflation. But yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, absent any exogenous shock, I think you're going to see the unemployment rate continue to go down over time. Yeah, by the way, if I didn't say so at the top, that 11.26 million uh, is the January number uh, for the uh, for the total number of job openings. Uh, Jared, for people who are just sort of getting into thinking about markets through the framework of macroeconomic data, uh, you know, you gave a little bit of color and some context on the JOLTS report. What are your thoughts of what it means more broadly uh, for inflation and for markets? Oh, I mean, it's, it's hugely bullish for inflation. Yeah. Um, you know, a couple of months ago, the if you, if you, if you go back to where we were like in December and January, uh, the Fed was very very hawkish. We were pricing in like seven or eight rate hikes, and at the time I was saying, you know, I think inflation is going to moderate because I think this jawboning is having an effect on the yield curve and it's financial tightening, and I do think inflation is going to moderate. That's what I thought two or three months ago. 
I don't think so anymore. You know, Gunlock today says that he thinks that uh, inflation is going to be 10% this year. And actually, I kind of agree with that. I mean, I, I don't think, you know, and now we're, we're kind of in a position where we're stuck, where we don't have the ability to raise rates seven or eight times this year because of the war. And now we have the war, which is a big inflationary impulse, which means that it's going to get a lot worse. So I think 10% inflation this year is totally possible. And we're actually, I, I can't remember who it was. It was somebody in the Biden administration. Maybe it was Psaki. And she said that she expects the CPI number, the headline number, to be pretty hot. So We're going to take a quick break and be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Yeah. By the way, for those who may not know, uh, Jeff Gunlack, of course, uh, from Double Line Capital, often called the Bond King, uh, a man who knows something about fixed income and about uh, and about inflation and the relationship uh, between those two points. Uh, with that said, Jared, I wanted to jump in uh, and show this clip because I think it's an excellent sort of illustration of the point that you just made. Uh, this is Maggie Lake hosting Annika Trion, who is the managing director of the competitive of the Competence Center at Van Lashot Kempen. Uh, this is from today's uh, Real Vision episode for Essential Plus and Pro Tiers. Let's take a look at the clip. If you're an equity investor, I mean, and there are two words to go away with in the era that we're in. If you could just close your eyes, wake up in, you know, six months time, a year time, and there was two words that you had to remember, those two words are pricing power. We've just discussed that the inflationary environment, it's complex. Uh, inflation has massive legs behind it a broadening of inflation or an inflation discovery you know, environment, the only thing you can do as an investor is make sure that you are exposed to businesses that have a proven track record of pricing power. A, because it's the only way to keep up earnings. So if multiples are going to continue to derate, if equity, you know, equity risk premia are continuing to inflate, which could be or could not be because quite a lot has already happened there, at least you can feel comfortable about the E in your PE. At least you can feel more comfortable about the cash flow because of the hedge, you know, in terms of the, you know, the self-fixed mechanism in terms of putting that OPEX cost through. And the other thing is, again, with the long-term horizon, those businesses will ultimately benefit from their peer group getting crushed by their lack of ability to pass through higher OPEX, their lack of ability to be able to pass through this painful environment and um, it will weed out, it will weed the weak out. And if you're in one of the stronger names um, with, as I said, a, prove, a proven track record of being able to pass pricing through, um, that's, that's probably the very best thing that you can take out from all of this. Following up, Jared, on some of the points that you made on the broadening and deepening of inflation, I think it's a great clip because it's crystal clear what she's saying is if you're investing in businesses in an inflationary environment, you better make damn well certain that those businesses have pricing power in markets. Yeah. And the funny thing is, I mean, if you know, just for a little history, if you go back 15 years ago in the mid 2000s, um, 
you know, we actually, we were having a bit of an inflationary impulse and commodities prices were going up. And a lot of people thought that we would get inflation, but firms did not have pricing power. I mean, Annika said that you want to invest in firms that have pricing power. I would say everybody has pricing power nowadays. I don't know anybody that doesn't have pricing power. Like everybody has the ability to raise prices indiscriminately. Yeah, maybe she's talking about this on more of a comparative basis uh, relative to other investments. Everyone does have pricing power because, uh, you know, obviously these input costs are moving so rapidly. Yeah, for sure. Um, Yeah, this is, you know, I, I think this could be an environment in which our estimates of inflation turn out to be woefully inadequate. Uh, you know, where even Gunlock's estimate for inflation could be a little bit conservative. You know, just when we're talking about, you know, we're talking about banning U.S. oil exports and we're talking about banning Russian oil imports and trade is closing off around the world. This is hugely inflationary. And this was happening before. We were under a period of deglobalization where trade was drying up and now it's being accelerated because of this war. This is going to feed directly into an inflation. Yeah. By the way, let me just double click and zoom in on what you said. Gun lack at 10% could be conservative on inflation? Yeah, I yeah, I think so. Yeah. I mean, it's still early in the year. I mean, it's March, you know. I mean, it's very possible by the end of the year. Yeah. Uh, once again, a fast news day. I wanted to touch on something else, which is, I think, quite interesting, uh, which is the president's executive order on digital assets and cryptocurrency. Uh, let me just read you a, a little bit of a clip. Uh, the White House put out a press release uh, on the website. Some of the things that they're talking about are, quote, advances in digital and distributed ledger tech for financial services uh, that have led to dramatic growth in markets for digital assets with profound implications for. And here's just a list of some of the points they put forward. Uh, the need for the protection of consumers for investors, uh, businesses, including data privacy and security, financial stability, systemic risk, crime, national security, the ability uh, to exercise human rights, financial inclusion, uh, energy demand, and climate change. It's everything but the kitchen sink is in there. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, there's there's a lot going on right now in the crypto world talking about Im- implementing a U.S. digital currency and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, this is not important right now, but it will be important at some point in the future. And it's good to keep an eye on this. Um, you know, actually, what, it, it's funny because, you know, for years we talked about crypto and nobody talked about gold. And the news in the last, you know, three or four weeks has all been about gold. And, you know, Bitcoin is allegedly an inflation hedge, but it hasn't worked very well. And gold has suddenly exploded to the upside. It was down today. So... Yeah, let's take a look at some charts. Uh, first, let's hit Bitcoin uh, and Ethereum. I think we have those charts ready. Bitcoin right now, as we speak, trading at 41785 That's up on a 24-hour basis, 8.5%. Seven-day basis, down 4.5%. So obviously a lot of volatility there. Uh, Ethereum, basically the same story, uh, trading right now at 2680 88 up five and a quarter percent on the last 24 hours, seven days down 8.75 percent, down uh, nearly nine percent. But I wanted to click over to what you just said uh, when you were talking about gold, because this is obviously something where we've seen uh, a lot of activity. Uh, Gold US dollar spot right now at 1,992 on my screen. Boy, if you look at the six month chart on gold, uh, obviously, as you say, giving a little back today, uh, but quite a chart. What's your interpretation on that? I know you've been thinking about this for a long time yeah i mean this is this is my biggest position um 
and I significantly increased it after it broke out from the consolidation. Um, you know, this is a long term. This is a long term trade for me. And uh, when commodities peaked yesterday, uh, you know, I knew I was going to take it in the shorts on this uh, on gold. And that's what happened. But um, I think what's going to happen going forward is that we're going to have a period of consolidation that's going to last a couple of weeks, maybe a couple of months. Uh, gold is going to sort of rattle around between 1950 and 2060. You know, the, the technicals on this were perfect. It got it got exactly up to the previous highs and stopped, you know. So, um, yeah, I think we're in for a period of consolidation. It's just going to take a while. Yeah. Jared, what are you going to be watching on gold uh, to make those determinations? Obviously, a lot of macroeconomic factors uh, that could, underlying could, uh, influence the future price of gold. What are you looking at, and how are you thinking about uh, some of those correlations? Well, one thing that I've seen recently is that there's a handful of gold miner CEOs that have been buying their own stocks, which mm -hmm. I thought was pretty interesting. Um, and the other thing that I'm looking at is the idea, you know, this whole idea that it, we, people pointed this out a couple of days ago, you know, we froze currency reserves of the Russian Central Bank. And, you know, if you have currency reserves, whether it's in dollars or euros or anything else, and all of a sudden you can't access it, really like your only alternative to, is to go onto the spot gold market and buy reserves. So I think there's going to be a huge demand for gold from central banks. And trust me, like anything I tell you is not my idea. I'm telling you stuff that I read from someplace else, right? I'm getting ideas from other people. So this is, you know, when I saw that, I don't know if it was Luke Groman or it might have been Luke Groman that you know, said that this was going to happen. I mean, this, you know, this makes a lot of sense to me. Uh, so like I said, I'm sticking with it. Jared, I would say you are doing what you do best, and you do it better than just about anyone, which is synthesizing all of the information that you see uh, out there uh, on these streams and trying to figure out a way to stitch it together into a coherent narrative. Yeah, well, I think, you know, look, uh, you know, I, the last time we talked, I, I, I believe we talked about gold, and I said, you know, I, I talked about the fact that there were all these people crapping on it, and I said... <laughs> Jesus, just look at the chart. Just zoom out, look at the chart, look at the consolidation that's been happening for the last two and a half years. And it is it, it is one of the most powerful chart formations that I have seen in my entire 20 year career of trading. You know what I mean? It was just, it's it's just an obvious setup. So and if you have a consolidation- who, who don't have the background in, in uh, this that you do, tell us why you see that setup as being so powerful. Well, if you have a, a consolidation that lasts for a period of years, that means that the breakout is going to last for a period of years. This isn't, you know, this breakout that we've had, it's not just two weeks and you're and we're done and we're going to go back to where we started. I mean, this is this is unleashed a, a powerful, impulsive move that's going to last for a long time. Yeah. Very interesting. Any idea uh, on the timing uh, or what the horizons might look like? Well, you know, initially I said gold had to get to 2,500, um, and I, I, I said that that would happen this year. I think I said that on the last daily briefing. Uh, I, I, I believe that, and I, I think that's actually a little bit conservative. I think it's a little bit conservative, so it could go higher than that. Yeah. 
Interesting. Uh, by the way, talking about uh, original ideas, uh, I'm going to give you a hot take on the president's executive order, and I want to get your opinion on it. Tell me what you're thinking about this. I actually, when I when I read this story uh, and have been kind of looking into it and went on to the website and did some reading, I basically had two reactions to it, and, and, and they're kind of like divergent reactions. The first is the good, and the second is the cynical. I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this. So in terms of the good, uh, I thought they said a lot of good things in there. Uh, they talked about the future of money. That's a key phrase that people uh, who were in the, in the space I have been thinking about and talking about for some time. They talked about global leadership, which I think uh, people who are really passionate about these digital assets care a great deal. Uh, those of us here in the United States care a great deal uh, about the U.S. taking on a global leadership position uh, in these assets. They talk about uh, technological innovation and its impact on the future. People who care about digital assets really love hearing these types of phrases. Uh, on the cynical side, uh, I would say this. They said a lot of stuff. It is a really long document. Uh, there's some things in there to love. There's some things in there uh, that maybe people are going to be a little bit, uh, let's just say, skeptical about. Uh, and the final point on the cynicism side of the uh, of the ledger is there are no new laws here. Really, this is an announcement of a series of government working groups uh, who are going to write a bunch of new reports. Uh, that basically means we're really, really early. Some encouraging things, uh, but I don't expect to see any sort of major policy implications coming out of this uh, anytime soon. What, what are your thoughts uh, in terms of that frame, Jared? Yeah, I agree with you uh, pretty much for all of that. Um, I mean, this is this is going to play out over a period of years. I mean, if you go on Twitter, you're sort of led to believe that we're going to have digital dollars tomorrow and we're going to have negative interest rates and financial repression and we're all going to be slaves and, you know, you hear a bunch of crazy stuff on Twitter. But this is going to take... This is going to take a really, really long time to play out. Um, the government moves very, very slowly. I used to work for the government. I know what that's like, you know, so it's uh, it's very collaborative and people go home at two thirty. So uh, this is this is going to take a really long time. In the meantime, it's always fun to throw out hot takes on crypto. <laughs> We're going to take another quick break and be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Hey, Jared, anything else? I know that you were talking about semiconductors. Uh, what are your thoughts on semiconductors? Oh, gosh. Uh, I haven't had any thoughts on. Well, actually, that's not true. Um, well, OK, so I have a I have a, a, a stock pick in the Daily Dirt Nap um, that I guess I guess I'm going to talk about. I usually don't talk about my stock picks, but what the hell? Um, so one thing that occurred to me was, you know, watching the State of the Union actually go back before the State of the Union. When Russia first invaded Ukraine, the, the conclusion that people immediately came to was that China was going to invade Taiwan because the U.S. was weak and we allowed this to happen. So it was imminent that China was going to invade Taiwan. That no longer looks to be an imminent possibility, but just put that aside for a second. So if you take into account the fact that Taiwan makes 80% of the world's semiconductors, we are going to want lots of semiconductor manufacturing capacity in the US and the major semiconductor 
manufacturer in the U.S. is Intel, and Intel suddenly becomes the most strategically important company in the world, mm -hmm. and I truly believe that. Um, and the stock is I don't I don't own it yet. I probably will soon. Uh, the stock is down. Um, I mean, I don't know how many. I mean, it's down a lot from the highs. It's it's the stock is on its ass. I mean, it's it's really really cheap, um, and I think it has I think it has the potential to be a big winner over time. Really interesting. Hey, Jared, we got questions coming in fast and thick from our audience. Uh, what do you say? Want to flip over some of those? Yeah. So here's a question that comes to us uh, from Ross M. This comes to us from the exchange. That's Real Vision's internal social media network. Uh, and this is a question that's just incredibly topical and relevant right now. Uh, and the question is this, Jared, how does the usefulness of your sentiment indicators change in periods of high volatility? Great question. That's, that's really interesting. Um, so it actually, the usefulness goes up in periods of high volatility. Uh, in periods of time like um, 2017, uh, 2016, 2017, where markets are just basically grinding higher, they're not very useful at all. Um, so, I, you know, I got to tell you that the first two months of this year have been very good to me personally after a 2021 that was very difficult. Um, so, you know, my sentiment studies do much, much better in times like this. Very interesting. Um, you know, lots of lots of, uh, of questions here about volatility. Uh, here's an interesting one. Uh, who, this is, comes to us from uh, Basking Turtle 78. This one comes to us directly from YouTube. Uh, and the question is, uh, thoughts on XLE? And is this the only sector worth uh, investing in uh, today? Uh, we should say uh, that this is the State Street uh, Energy Select uh, Spider Fund. Uh, it, you know, given the collapse in oil today, which is probably going to continue, um, I think oil probably gets back below 100, you know, over time. Um, yeah, I think that you, what this this energy versus tech trade that people have been talking about for a long time. Yeah. You know, the, the last six months, energy has been outperforming tech by like thousands of basis points. Yep. I think over the course of the next few weeks, that's going to reverse and tech is going to outperform energy. I think XLE probably has about 15% downside over the next couple of weeks. Mm -hmm. uh, on a long-term basis, I think the trade makes complete sense. But the thing with that is, is that a lot of people say, well, you know, you know, 15%, that doesn't sound that bad. I can ride that out. And then it just gets to be really painful. Uh, so, you know, it is good if you can be nimble and trade it around. Yeah. Here's a great question and one I really want to get your opinion on as well. Uh, this one comes to us from Bo Nito from the Real Vision uh, website. And the question is, Jared, how do you feel about the recent events in the nickel market? And by the way, Jared, if you could give a little bit of context uh, for people who haven't been following this story, the almost GameStop-like performance of nickel. Yeah, I'm actually, I'm not, I'm not entirely, I mean, look, like Russia's a big producer of nickel. I understand that. I mean, basically nickel just went parabolic. Yeah. Um, the, the bigger implications of this is that um, you know it, this this is not just true of nickel but a lot of commodities I mean wheat went parabolic stuff like that if you have large commercial hedgers that have big short positions and all they lose you know hundreds of millions or billions of dollars in the short position they have to meet a margin call you know and when commodities markets are quiet they don't have to worry about things like that i mean they're hedge positions so they own the underlying commodity but the point is is that in order to meet the margin call they have to come up with the cash 
and they don't have the cash. So either they have to take out a loan at a higher interest rate to meet the margin call, or they have to sell assets. But that's that's the bigger implications of what's going on in nickel. Yeah. Jared, this has been the uh, fastest 28 minutes in my life. We've blown through a tremendous amount of uh, content today. Obviously, big news day, lots of volatility in markets. Uh, Jared, final thoughts, key takeaways. How would you frame this conversation for our audience? Yeah, I mean, I just, we've had, uh, it's over the last few months, you have in the financial markets, you have things and you have paper, you have commodities and you have financial assets, you have stocks and bonds. And for the last few months, you've had things outperforming paper. I think for the next few weeks, you're going to have paper outperforming things. Very interesting. And by the way, uh, how are you going to play that? Uh, well, um, you know, I, in my newsletter, I uh, recommended that everybody buy a bunch of tech stocks today, and I trade 24 hours after them. So tomorrow, I'm going to be buying a bunch of tech stocks, stuff that I hate. I mean, stuff that I absolutely hate. This is not stuff that I like to do, and I'm not comfortable with it. Uh, but I believe that this is, you know, this is for a flip. You know, this is for a trade over the next couple of weeks, and uh, I, you know, I'm I'm hopeful about it. Yeah, such an important distinction. Jared, as always, fantastic conversation. Always love having you on the Real Vision Daily Briefing, man. Thanks, Ash. Appreciate it. And thanks again for watching the Real Vision Daily Briefing. We'll be back tomorrow uh, with Imran Laka and Alfonso Pecatiello. And by the way, on Friday, March 11th, this Friday, by popular demand, Rao Pal and I will be back on Real Vision Daily Briefing. Thanks for watching, everyone. <laughs> What's up, revolutionaries? Thanks for tuning in to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. For more content like this, head over to realvision.com and get unfiltered access to the very best, brightest, and biggest names in finance. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with lips and ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.